Listening to Omnis Protocol. I am Charles, also known as Omnis, and with my bro, my co-host Danny. What's going on, brother? Nothing much. Just enjoying, you know, a very awesome summer weekend in the Pacific Northwest. It's just been beautiful, like nice sunny weather. We had a little bit of rain, you know, a couple days ago, but it's been great since then. I don't know if Oregon's been as nice as Seattle, but, like, the Seattle weekend, this is, like, a perfect Seattle weekend, to be entirely honest. I like this little flex there, like, ugh, there's no way Portland can be better than Seattle. <laughs> well, that was not what I was going for, but I'll, I'll roll with it. I just, yeah. I didn't know if you guys got, like, kind of exactly the same thing, or if it was a little different. But we just got that, like, not too warm, but nice out, like, comfortable, but bright, you know... No, today was a great day. I got to fly kites uh, with my kid for a while, which was super fun, right? It's Because uh, we live, like, in a valley, right? So a yeah. lot of wind gusts and stuff come through, and so it gets really high and just fun stuff. Uh, nice, you know, just nice. goofing around. Um, all right. Well, listeners, what we're going to dive into to close out Season 3 of Ominous Protocol is, for the non-Patreon folk, um, a really interesting conversation took place in Discord after the last episode, because one person suggested, like, hey, it would be a whole lot easier to analyze LVO data if you required everyone to use the, the coding that comes from the Squad Builder apps instead of, t- you know, nobody basically types in their list to Longshanks, everybody uses the code. Um, would make it a whole lot easier for someone to analyze that data, which is true. Um, and then that spawned a larger conversation, and I'm going to credit um, Pat Dunford from Across the Bifrost. He kind of spawned this um, this talk in a heavier way because he kind of hot-taked and was like, hey, uh, the data is not actually that useful. And I don't want to like misquote him, but kind of roughly what he was getting at is like, hey, we don't have enough data for it to be truly useful and most of the data that we do have is really just giving us kind of the like most basic information anyway and there's also an element of like does this just kind of take some of the mystery and the fun out of out of the experience so with all of that said we're going to kind of analyze the topic of data collection, pros and cons for Marvel Crisis Protocol. Does it have a net benefit? Does it have a, a net negative? Um, Danny, so kind of prior to all of this, where, where were you at with this topic? Uh, I'll be really honest. I'm super lazy. I never look this stuff up. Like, people will talk about it in the post about it, but like, yeah, sure, I'm sure the data exists or whatever, but heart of the car is all the way, right? Okay, so you're you're not like the, the data collection part's not that big of a deal to you one way or the other. Yeah. Um, uh, like, it's interesting to me as, like, um, because there's, there are things that are, I think, interesting to me. Like, something that's interesting to me is if you talk about factions and how they tend to do on specific scenarios. And you start to see trends over a larger set of data set. Like, okay, that's interesting. But the problem is, like, for, you can skew that data very easily, right? Because, like, oh, man, X-Men do really well on pay flips You're like, well, because no one else takes pay flips So, yeah, they're, they're the ones who are doing well on flips Like, what do you mean, right? So, like, there's this um, interesting tidbits of information you can get out of that. Right. And, like, we've talked about it a great many times, but a big part of why X-Men are so good at pay flips is because, like, nobody else is building for them. They're like, there are some people now who are building to beat X-Men, but there's not really something super meta that's going, hey, I also want to run pay-to-flips. So it's it's that a lot of people have felt like they can kind of neglect pay-to-flips. But that's not the point of the episode. And um, I will say, to kind of mirror your point, is that the most interesting thing that I feel like I've gotten, especially from like Longshanks data, is when it kind of hit home just how much people neglect 16 threat, right? Like there was a point where I saw some weird data when I was looking at overall win record. Like I was looking at affiliations that had really strong win records and they were winning in most uh, threat levels, but all of a sudden they'd have this big dip at 16. 
my first instinct was researcher because it was researcher with 16 thread at the time. But then I realized it wasn't researcher. And as I looked into the data, like researcher, they would still win a normal amount. It was like, it was a lot of it was cosmic invasion and Fisk. And when people had to play on these very unique crisis and at 16, they often didn't have a plan. And that has been like probably the most interesting takeaway that I've had personally. Yeah, because that's like that's something you would necessarily infer playing your own games because like there's no way to know what other people are doing in their own games around the world, right? Like there's just no way you know what's going to happen there. So you can go, well, I play these scenarios and I think they're good, but like you just said, like there are scenarios that people don't play that aren't bad necessarily. They just aren't the game plan you're trying to play. So when you're forced onto them, it's going, oh, did I ever account for a scenario where I'm going to do something that I didn't want to do? And that's like an always proposition for people. Because most people have very much have a game plan for like their 80%. Like, oh, I'm going to play into like a tall list. I'll play to a wide extract list with a bunch of steals or whatever. What else do I play into something I'm like not really considering? Like, yeah. What do you do in those scenarios? Well, and I think there's also the positive element of like, say you're worried about a particular... Um, a particular affiliation but it's not the whole affiliation that concerns you it's kind of the affiliation plus x right and that could be guardians plus thanos or it could be any number of different things but you're really worried about a specific thing so you it is nice when you can like go look at events and go okay well how many of the people playing this affiliation and doing well are also playing x splash character in in that particular team because it causes you problems and so that i think is interesting because it would would help you out but we are talking about some relatively corner case situations and it doesn't feel like we have a very like broad answer as far as positive sides go um it is just interesting to talk about. Like, yeah. it's fun. It's it's gonna be a little junk foodie, but it's fun, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, talking about games is half of what people do because, like, the games you play and the analysis of the game you've played and analysis of other people's games that they play, and you try to synthesize that into like a new play pattern that you can use to like figure something out, like something you never saw before in interaction or something. And you're like, okay, cool. I have this information now. How do I use this information either to defend against it or how do I abuse the situation information in, in my own advantage? Right. Yeah, for sure. And I think. Man, when when we talk about stats, like right, like obviously to a certain extent, I think all stats are a little bit wonky and a little bit, you know, maybe even more than a little bit, but like pretty skewed because they're affected in large part by what people are passionate about, right? Like, you know, people like playing certain things and like all MCP data ends up being skewed because a larger percentage of people want to play like a brawly murder game. And so that kind of skews all data because people, more people prefer playing that way. Yeah. I mean, I think especially coming from other minis games is that you're very much taught that murder is the key to winning. Right, like in, in most games, it is if you ki- if you essentially break the opponent's back in some way or prevent their ability to um, affect their plan, they're just they lose. Right, like even if they have technically better positioning or whatnot, they're essentially just gonna you're gonna snowball fast enough that it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on the the negative sides of this? Is are we actually doing a negative by collecting this data? Like, is the, is there a net negative here? I think there's like an upfront cost to it, really, right? Because what you're essentially asking people to do is either to format their list or put their list or put the information in a way that can then be used programmatically, right? They can pull the information out, pull up all these digests and look at these things over a long period of time, right? And do some sort of study with them, Um, which is great. But that barrier right is different for each people you're like we're all doing this for the fun of it so the harder you make it for people to engage with the thing 
the less likely they're going to do it, no matter how much they love a thing. Uh, you can see a direct correlation between effort and, and joy, right? So um, there's something to be said about making it easy for people to just like, hey, you walk up, you either write your list, show your list, uh, who cares? It doesn't really matter. But as long as you're here, you pay an entry fee, we play games, high fives, we all play, right? Um, so I think the negative could be the, you know, to the the person coming into the event is going like, well, I don't want to put the effort in. Like, I don't use these tools. I just write, like, I know people who just straight up write lists by hand, right? Like, they don't I'm, use I'm one apps, of those people. Right? Like, <laughs> right? I literally do not use the apps at all. I will sometimes text myself, um, like, a roster, right? Where I, like, I have all the information, but I don't use any of the apps. So... I, as a tournament organizer, there was certainly an aspect of the whole initial conversation, which was like requiring, like there was a part of me that's just like, I have a hard time requiring people to use something that I don't even use myself. Yeah. And it just comes, it's like a big ask, right? I guess is the way to phrase it is that you're asking people to potentially go out of the comfort zone, which on one hand is okay, but on the other hand, like there's a trade off to doing that, right? Uh, Like it just turns some people away and everything. And so like, that's like a hitting cost because you don't even know the people you're turning away because they're not going to come up to you and be like, Hey, I don't like this. You're like, they may say that to you, but what percentage of them are all saying that to you? No, there's no way to measure that. Right. Yeah. Well, to back up a step, I was asking not from the perspective of, like, this new possibility of should we require um, people to use one of the apps, but just in general. Like, is, you know, I I love Longshanks. I support Longshanks. I love looking at all the list data. Is the fact that we are collecting the data that we're already collecting a net positive for the community or a net negative for the community? Uh, Okay. So this is actually a very interesting conversation. And I guess the quickest comparison, like even talking about 40K, right? Like you don't have these big aggregator sites that have every single list from every event collated for you and everything. Everything is you are looking through usually like the top 10. Like this is what I used to do forever, like War Machine stuff, right? Is that I would go to big events. And I would just look at the top, like, 16 lists, and I would filter by if I was playing that faction or not. And be like, if I like that faction, like, okay, what are they playing that I'm not playing? Why do they make those decisions? And then you would look at the list they played against and go, like, okay, what worked about them? And in terms of data collection, right, like, that is... What are you getting out of looking at pure statistics, right? Like, there are interesting tidbits to get out of there what there are interesting facets you can look at it but in terms of like reviewing a game the thing that's going to matter the most is watching the game being recorded on a camera and watching the game be played in real time as you watch the person make their actual decisions like that's how you're going to actually learn from whatever that game is actually happening looking at the pure data analytical side of it is you can just make some observations but you can't really infer what happened in the match and that's what makes it like hard to see like what you see out of it over a long period of time. Yeah, there's certainly some element of like without being able to see some games, like some like a lot of the data may just be totally useless. But people are still inferring from it. Yes, but I think, you know, uh, lacking anything else, people will infer from anything, right? So it's hard to say that uh, people taking information and making judgments are like, well, yeah, that happens all the time, right? So um, would they make better judgments with this information? Would they make worse judgments if they didn't have the information? I guess it's kind of like the core topic here, right? And the question is, I don't think it changes anything either way. Right, like the best thing I could possibly see out some of this data is that you see particular trends, right? Like in the most objective way, right? You're going to see factions, how well they did, what models they had in there, and what scenarios they played. But we're not breaking down, you know, who is in the particular um, your list when you actually played. All you know is like, hey, here's the bucket of characters they could have chosen. Here's a scenario, and you know maybe they're a leader, right? Like what? Can you actually infer about the game itself? All you can infer is that this game occurred and this thing happened. And then you're going to look at a statistically large amount of data and try to infer that when people to have this particular set of characters and play these scenarios, this tends to happen. That is the best I think you could do. Yeah. 
So what do you think about in general about the potential negative impacts of like in general, say, you know, you, you, you see like the data from LVO or something like that and that pushes you out of maybe playing your favorite character or, you know, um, kind of leaning yourself towards playing the most popular characters and pushing people out of maybe exploring things that they had planned to explore but are not because of how popular characters were on uh, on a larger scale. What, what do you think about that? Oh, man. This is funny because I actually have an example from a different game. Uh, and the game is oddly Diablo 4. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so follow me for here for a second. And so uh, currently, like, Diablo 4 just came out and everything. Everyone's super excited about it, hyped, whatever. Play it, don't play it, who cares? But the point is, is that there are, you can obviously go online, see builds or guides, and be like, cool, I can just play this and do well. Or you could just play the game and look at the skills and try to figure out what you like to not play and everything. But what I think happens, right, is like the split in players is the, hey, I want to know what's good and I want to know what's the most effective thing ever. And therefore, I'm going to use data to try to determine what that is so that I can be the most effective at what I'm trying to do. Right? That got logic tracks for me and why someone would come out of that road, right? And... That's interesting to me because essentially it's like this hyper um, min-maxing point of view, right? It's like, hey, I'm trying to eke out every percentage of a win because I believe there's a trend of other people doing these things and that they're doing well. Therefore, I'm going to do well, or at least I have a high probability of doing well if they're doing well, right? Just by sheer weight of numbers supporting my position. Except it does take out this sort of ingenuity or the dark horse factor of trying things out that are quote off meta right or trying things that aren't like the most optimum way of doing something just like your point about you know playing scenarios that aren't the quote best for you it's like hey there's a ton of scenarios that might be okay for you but worse for everyone else and your opinion of what is bad in that scenario is you trying to min max for a particular outcome that may not even happen right because like there is the hey here's my scenarios then there's the actual turn zero where characters go right and then there's what actually happens with dice so there's multiple layers of obfuscation happening here well there's also the element like using your diablo reference you could still have a like class build that's super fun and popular and visually stunning and maybe does well against a really key boss yeah. That um, that is that is important, and maybe isn't as good as something down the road that people haven't even encountered yet. Like, there's a lot of factors that could be going into like why that is doing so popular and so well, and and that may prevent people from exploring some of the other things. And like, there's always. You know, you you take it back to say fighting games, right? Like, there's always the element of that character who's the hardest to learn, but has like the coolest, most outrageous combos. If you can learn that character, yes, high skill cap, right? Which is <laughs> like banana stuff happens if you can figure out the cheat codes, right? It's all the moves, right? And so, with all of that in mind. We, you know, the question is, is like, how does that all impact MCP? Does presenting the data push people away from discovering new things? Like, obviously, there's always people coming in, and I'm probably like this. If I were to come into a game that wasn't new, I would want to know, like, what's really good? What's the best stuff? Maybe even if I don't end up playing that, I would want to know what it is so that I could practice against it and figure out if what I is see if I can find something that would be that would be good against those things. But part of the adventure of all of it, right? Like you they they've said it with the like the creation of like Magic the Gathering sets and like I think AMG has said this about models to a certain extent that part of the fun is figuring out what's good and what's not or like what's above the curve and what's below the curve part of what makes roster building interesting is that you're making active choices right like 
if every character was exactly equal, roster building would be boring as fuck. Yeah, right? it would suck. Right? Because you, 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 it doesn't matter. Like, if all the characters are equally good in all situations, then who you pick doesn't matter. And maybe some people want that game, and that's fine, but that is not the game that we're playing. MCP is not something where all four threats are equal. They're actually very not equal. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, there's, there's Logans on one end of the spectrum, and then there's, you know, there's like daredevils and normal wolverine on the other end of the spectrum right like they just feel below um other characters but even that discussion like part of the fun of it is the journey and i think maybe skipping the journey takes part of it away from people and like is having all that data there and going, okay, these are, like, you could really easily go and look at LVO and look at all the other events and be like, okay, these are, like, I have a good idea of what are the best characters and what are the primary characters I want to play. And so if the community has missed something, it only further encourages people to miss it, right? Yes. So something I tended to do a lot in War Machines, I play a lot of Dark Horse characters. And it wasn't even like they were bad. It was like I would play... Like initial, I'd play like Severus and Krios when we're like 12, 13 casters deep at this point, right? It's not even like they were bad. It's just like the whole Black Panther thing, right? It's like, he's not bad. There's just other fours have come out now that are also amazing and people have like shifted focus to them. But it doesn't make him retroactively bad. Like he perfectly does his role. He does everything he does. Hasn't changed anything. Like services a lot of things. But because things have shifted away from that character there's now a blind spot where that character used to exist. Are they filled by other roles? Potentially, right? Like, there's other roles that are defensive, they have other throws, they have other ways of affecting the game, but when you go long enough, right, without happening, these characters are out of the, quote, meta, or, like, the, the, the common play of cards, you get to a point where people haven't played against them, and that's what a Dark Horse factor even is, right? Yeah. It's that you have this character who is good, hasn't done anything wrong, just shows up one day and beats everyone up for some reason. Yeah, I mean, there's always an element of, like, if we go back to War Machine, there was the point where, for my affiliation, a new, uh, it was, I think it was actually a fourth, I think it was a four-point piece, came out, and it could kind of, like, in a lot of people's minds, it was the best fourth you know, four point piece in the affiliation. And I switched back to playing something that used to be considered very good, but was thought to be kind of replaced. But there was some very specific decision making that led me to that switch. And it ended up with me having my, my most significant win of my war machine career was making a switch backwards to something that had kind of been passed over, which was never thought to be bad, but was just kind of thought to be replaced. Now, with the prevalence of this data, does it encourage... Uh, encourage is the wrong word. Does the data push people away from that sort of exploration? And I feel like the answer to that kind of has to be yes. Like, yes. The more I... data we have, the more people who want to look at it, and the more people who take that data as significant and let it impact their decisions... Yeah, I think it's a weight of numbers situation, right? Where in an individual in your local scene, is it going to fundamentally change everyone, what they're playing? No, but it's going to cause trends, especially at larger events. You're going to see, hey, Thanos Guardians does well at a major event. You're going to see that in other events following that, right? Yeah. They're still like, hey, it has a high percentage of winning. Like, I want to win. I'm going to play that. That's what's going to happen. But what ends up happening, right, the, the natural outcome of that is that less things are being played because you're essentially narrowing the field, right? You're going, oh, well, this has guaranteed me, guaranteed a win before. Therefore, there's a higher percentage. It will give me a win in the future. Well, if you follow that logic to a natural conclusion, then there's no reason to play other things unless I know they'll guarantee me a win, which becomes myopic, right, very quickly, <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I think any time that we're looking at any roster and thinking that it guarantees any wins, yeah. it's probably a fundamental mistake somewhere in the thought process. But, um, I mean, like, is there a... I guess part of the thing is, is like, is there a... So, before I get to my next point, yeah. I, I think 
the the reality is is that as much as data is fun and interesting, there is potentially a negative impact on the community. Yeah, I think this is like the classic take things with a grain of salt situation, but it's hard to say that to a group necessarily. It's like, hey, data is good. Data can be useful. You can infer some things, but don't let it be like your your guiding light in terms of list creation. It is information to take in, and it's probably good to identify like, hey, there are particular things like, hey, I'm probably going to see the top five factions at most big events. So I should probably have a general understanding of how they tend to work. That would be helpful, right? Like as a general foot point. Uh, so that is good. In terms of, well, here's the five factions that always do well. You're playing one of these or what you're playing sucks is very negative, right? And doesn't really help or further you in terms of understanding the game or help your opponent really get feedback from you when you tell them the list sucks because they're bad and they think badly, right? It's like, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly it, like... The, I mean, the reality is, is that at any given time, probably half of the affiliations should have a losing record, Right, yeah. like just because in theory, numbers, like, right? yeah, you should have probably half have a winning record and half have a losing record, should be the reality. And like, how you know, if someone's looking for feedback and they're getting into the game and they're like, hey, I like, I want to do well at events, but I want to play this, and like, maybe sometimes the reality is that that's a hard journey. Like, you you have a tough road ahead. If you want to be a champion for that faction, like, go for it, but you are not going to walk into games feeling advantaged. The other thing that's hard about this data collection is that it's not segmented. And what I mean by segmented is like segmented by model release because you can see spikes in win ratios for affiliations like Malakabal, where Cabal was nowhere, right, this time last year. And then Mal shows up, everyone's, you know, super hyped. Riskle 2 shows up, super hyped, right? So you can't, take those like release factors into consideration looking at the data right and you start segmenting it by model release and then trying to associate that way and now you're starting to make a lot of stipulations in terms of making the data useful for you when in reality it's sort of like a i guess a gut check is a way to phrase it right it's like hey here's what happened these past couple events here's where we're trending here's what's happening here let me you know sort of you know divine what's going to happen in the future based off these past couple events but like using like longitudinal data right from the past you know the history of mcp it's like a waste of time right and but like at the same time you know if you started early 2022 you would have thought x-men were bad yeah right and so like it's interesting (laughs) there's there's certainly you know um there's certainly points where this stuff shifts and like that can also be very hard to tell like when a new thing comes out, like, how quickly does it take for people to learn it? Like, as we've talked about, the skill cap for things is not the same. Some things, you know, come out and you're just like, you immediately see the value and you immediately see what to play with them and you immediately see the synergies. Like, say, um, when Daredevil came out for criminals, right? Like, there was no mystery there. Like, everybody was like, this is solid, right? Like, you immediately see the synergies, you immediately see kind of what to play, and maybe there was a little bit of subtlety in, like, some of the, the you know, ninth and 10th roster choice picks or, like, exact crisis combination. But everybody was like, yep, this is going to be good. But then you have S.H.I.E.L.D., right, where people are like, okay, I see powerful stuff here, but how many people figured it out on the level that Vince figured it out? Yeah, and that's like the whole skill cap question, right? Where some affiliations take, you have to think in multiple steps. And it's not to say like some affiliations are easier or harder necessarily. It's just that like the way the synergies work out, you have to consider all the synergies that could happen. And so you're just looking at a breadth of options and trying to figure that out. Whether affiliations are, I punch good. I punch you, you're dead. I punch you, you're dead. Cool, that's it. I mean, I would go so far as to say there are absolutely affiliations that are easier to play than others. Um, I, I I will go as so far as to say that, but not really the point of this discussion. Yeah. Um, so, w- what's your overall thoughts afterwards? Like, <coughs> should we be still collecting this data? Like, 
is it worth it? Cause, I mean, it's fun to talk about. It's fun for like, you know, it's fun. Like that's the that's the baseline. But is it is it doing a net positive for the community, or are we hurting things overall? Yeah, this is just. I honestly don't know how I feel about it because on one hand, I personally like looking at affiliations and trends, right? Especially when you look at multiple larger events, you're like, hey, these affiliations tend to take these scenarios. Huh, I wonder why, right? Like, let's dig into this because the honest truth is like, I can't, I don't have enough free hours in a day to like deep dive every affiliation, every possible combination every time something new happens. Like, it's just not going to happen, right? So, like, you're going to take shortcuts by nature of that. And so one of them is looking at historical data. So what we do now, right, in terms of recording the game, recording the leaders, recording your VPs and everything is great. It's, like, the list construction part that, like, it just gets so murky because you don't... What is actually useful to know about someone's roster, right? Either it's characters, your tactics, your... Um, crisis cards right but then at that point what it really comes down to is who wins prio right because that changes a lot of the decision making process right like like how useful is it to know everyone's roster not then marrying in the rest of the data of the actual matches right like and to your point like i think it's signal noise a lot of the time I think it's useful, like, to look at, at the end of the day, I think it's useful to have everyone's list there because I tend to look at, like I said earlier, like, the top 16, top 20 players of, like, okay, cool. Is there something going on here we can infer and everything? But at the same time, like, if you look at big events and you look at, especially after Modern, like, Rhino came out, Juggernaut came out, Malekith came out, like, all the lists are just going to have that model everywhere. Like, that's just new shiny is going to happen. Like, is that actually useful? Like, as information, like, honestly. Well, and there's always new characters, right? So you're always going to see data skewed by like, okay, well, a new character came out. That's a four threat. Does that, uh, that's obviously going to, like, it's not even a question. That obviously negative imp- negatively impacts the stats for all other four threats when a new, interesting, exciting four threat comes out. Now, I guess that the converse to this that I should call out, right, is that if you have a new model come out and they don't show up, right in any data that is technically telling you something right on some <laughs> level either everyone's sleeping on that model or that model is absolute trash here somehow but you know everyone's uh, everyone just agrees on it um but how do people get to that opinion as like a, as like a situation like i don't know yeah that's that's even tougher like because there's there's always popularity elements and um and I mean, I would say in general, MCP characters are harder to evaluate than like any game I've ever played. Yeah, because they can just go everywhere, right? So it's not like, oh, this character is new and they go into this affiliation. Okay, cool. I got to think about a couple of combos. We're going to switch in and out to make this character really shine. It's like, hey, what's this character in like a hundred different combinations? Uh, just get back to me in a week. <laughs> yeah, it's a. I mean, it's it's a super hard. It's a hard question to answer. Um, But I mean, and I want to make sure that like this podcast does not come across in the extent of like trying to either trash on or like totally agree with Pat either way. I think he brought up a really good discussion and he definitely at least shifted my view enough where I I was 100% pro data collection prior to the discussion. I've always said eh, most of the data is useless, but it's fun, and uh, maybe maybe I always knew that there was a negative aspect to it, but it didn't matter that much to me because it I wasn't sure it was negative to me personally. Yeah, like it's just I guess at the end of the day that I think it's interesting to look at. But in terms of does it affect my personal decision-making process and making lists and stuff? Like, not really. Right. And can it affect other people? Absolutely. But uh, I guess that just comes down to, like, how do you determine or how do you decide what you're going to do? Right. And how do you evaluate that? And that's just that's it's a very subjective thing. Yeah, that's true. And so. I mean, if anything, maybe the moral of the story is that we as humans need to approach the data differently. Yeah, that's right. Fair. Like, you can. I mean, 
how much like I guess that's the question then like how much is a good amount to let the data impact your decision making this is like the 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 tangent here explanation is like uh reviews on items online right like <laughs> it's like we're like oh that's like six thousand reviews like obviously this is good you're like oh but like 80 percent of robots like well i'm not gonna read all of them so that's not, i don't care right i so, mean definitely 80 percent of the people playing mcp are bots like let's let's be honest uh, i mean that's true but we weren't gonna talk about that right <laughs> Uh, so like there's like a weight of numbers thing right like if you see big numbers people are going to tend to be like oh well like bigger numbers are better because bigger numbers are better right so uh, it very much could influence people especially if you're early in your career you see like oh like tier lists are perfect examples like well everyone says this character is great but it's not working out for me and it's like oh well you shouldn't get in your head that you're a bad player now because you can't get this model to work. It's like, hey, like, it's just entirely possible that model just doesn't work for you, right? And, like, your play style, what you're going for. Like, there's the reason why there's multiple colors of magic decks, right? <laughs> they don't all work for the same kind of person. Right, like, you know, Thanos is a very, very strong character, but he needs, you know, he both needs a roster that's going to play him, like, basically all the time, right? And so, you know... In, in the rest perspective, if you didn't know enough about the game, and you're just like, oh, Thanos is good, I should include him, that's not necessarily pure, like, that, that, that information does not, uh, does not answer itself. Yeah, and so I think that's, like, where data can hurt, is that especially on, when you don't have a lot of information, you're going to go by whatever, like, you know, large sources of data are going to go from, where, um, it's just hard it's hard to know when data is going to be useful to you and actually pertain to you and so it's especially hard to determine that when you don't have a lot of information to go on yeah and i think i mean i think in general i think for the the average player one of the main takeaways would be like don't let this data impact you too much because the larger community has been wrong many 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 times yes like a hundred percent multiple times well and there's often very very good characters who are not getting played maybe just because they're like you know the four threats or just four threats and threes like there's a lot of really good three threats and really good four threats that just like medusa has not been played that much is Medusa anywhere close to being a bad four threat? Fuck no. <laughs> yeah, it's just like she's just off meta, right? Yeah, and that's that's a weird thing to say, but you know, it, I feel like Medusa could absolutely be in a roster that could just come out and be like, oh yeah, in these situations, I play Medusa and she's a fucking rock star. Um, now, are there still characters that are very behind the curve? Yes. Are every character who's underplayed behind the curve? No. no. Yeah. Like, there's there's a lot of, like, you know, just, you know, popularity. Like, Black Panther is still a very solid four threat, even though he's kind of fallen out of favor in a lot of, a lot of rosters, just because four threats have gotten so much more competitive just in, like, the last six to eight months. Yes, it just one. It just feels like they released the floodgates, right? In terms of four threats in the past several months, uh, so like the the whole range is just getting a flood of new models, which is good. Not complaining about it, right? Yeah. But what that means is that when you have a flood of new models, it's gonna take a while for that sort of settle and be like, okay, cool. Like, how do you want to categorize all this stuff? Like, even if you categorize them at the beginning, your opinion may change. The nature of the game may change. Cars can change. New models can come out that change your evaluation. And I have to reevaluate everything. Cool. How often do you do that, honestly? Yeah, it's it's hard. And I think, so Adam is a friend of both of ours, right? And he's probably the, I mean, in some ways, he's kind of a poster boy for this sort of stuff. He didn't start MCP right away. Hyper competitive player from prior games comes in and he he wants some of that core information right yeah what's good what's not good 
But at the same time, he went through and played a lot of affiliations in a lot of variations and a lot of different um, uh, roster combinations. And he still did a fair amount of exploring himself. Now, maybe some of that took, like, suggestions from myself or suggestions from you. Like, would he have practiced Wakanda for that month or two if it hadn't been for you? Probably not. But he, I mean, he also said, like, there was parts of that that he enjoyed. And I think there's elements of that 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 are important. And one of my biggest lessons from MCP in general is the meta can shift pretty dramatically. And if you want to be ahead of the game and ready, you kind of already have to know how to play most of that stuff. Like, when Malekith hits... If somebody is already very accustomed to playing Bullseye, playing Zemo, playing Mystique, right? Like, playing, you know, all of the things that would go into a Cabal Malekith roster, you are going to be advantaged and quicker, and you are going to be ready to play it at maybe, like, the first tournament after the release. And so there, there is a big element to just, like playing a wide variety of things. Like, you don't see Zemo in that many rosters, but that dude's a fucking rock star. That dude's a monster, is what he actually is. Considered, like, one of the top three threats forever, and then you don't see him splash, like, whatsoever anymore. Like, just not even... Again, it's like the whole Black Panther thing. It's like, it's not he's got bad all of a sudden. There's just, like, all these other amazing three threats, and then everyone just forgot he even exists. Yeah, I mean... I like honestly, he's a character that I kind of came back to in a big way with the crisis shift because I needed more long movers. I kind of played him a little bit in 2022 and started like I was throwing him back into X Men. I played him in Hellfire Club. I was throwing Zemo in all sorts of places. And man, that dude is still really good. And he draws ire. Like, yeah. People are like, I need to kill this dude. I cannot let him keep going. Well, it's just like, Zeno, because of his rerolls and stuff, is that he can randomly pump himself up that he just murders things that he shouldn't be able to. You're like, what? Zeno just killed my Captain America. You're like, yep, that that just happened. (laughs) (laughs) There is not very many things that Zemo does not kill. Black Panther might be one of them, but... Uh, yeah, like, that's, like, the whole conversation. It's, like, to, one, props to Adam, right? Um, but the one thing that he does yeah, I mean, very well. Adam's and already like, taken, I mean, how long has he been playing at this point? I think like, officially it was, like, fall, maybe winter of last year. So, like, seven, eight months, probably. Yeah, sounds right. So yeah. he's at, you know, at least, you know, at least nine months um, but maybe not quite a year of playing, or maybe he started picking up models right about a year ago, or a little less than a year, has already won an LVO qualifier, and so, like, the degree of, like, taking in some of the data is helpful to speed up a process, but you you still have to find out some things for yourself. Yeah, and I think that was the the rover go down here for a second, right? Is that you have to do your homework. And, like, kind of your point earlier about being ahead of the curve is that if you want to win an event, there's kind of, like, two main ways of doing it, right? You're, like, you try to take something you believe has very good percentages or chances to win at events because you are favored and what you perceive to be a lot of matches that you're going to run into. Or you take things that your opponents aren't going to expect or have a game plan into, like your off scenarios, your you know your kicks you don't take very often because it's like your dark horse factor, right? And so it's like hyper efficiency, or you're taking something in a way that is going to shift their game plan or make their game plan not work the way they want it to. Like their their you know, their uh, work replacement engine is not going to work as efficiently. It falls apart and they get sad. Um, and what Adam's very good at doing is sort of playing around a lot of, because he did, you're right, he played a lot of affiliations, and you're looking around going, okay, cool, how does this stuff, like, fundamentally work, and then what do I actually want to do, right? Like, what why, what I like to play, what I want to do with this, and how do I take the information and then bring it home to do the best that I want to do, right? Well, that's Dark Horse, you're going to do whatever, right? Because ultimately, like, surprising people is... 
ironically one of the easier ways to win because if people are on their back foot and they're spending more mental effort thinking about the game than you are you by proxy are going to have more mental resources to make decisions and make smarter more advanced decisions right because you're less stressed during the match yeah i mean we've all played mcp in like you know the game where you play a new you know new faction and you're like, what the fuck? How do I deploy for this this extract? Right? Like, who goes where? Like, I had this plan, but now I'm, you know, but in this specific situation, I don't think I can deploy this character across from this character. But I need that's my character who grabs extracts. Like, do I have another character that can do this? Like, we've all been in that situation, and when you suddenly are kind of in that in a uh, um, in a tournament or something, and you're playing in something that's you know, you don't know exactly how to play against, that's hard. Yeah, like, you are essentially... It's a misinformation mismatch, right? Like, clearly your opponent knows their own list and what they're trying to do, and you're now trying to, in real time, figure out what the fuck they're talking about, right? And figure out how you're going to stop it. And, uh, (laughs) which can work, right? Like, I'm not saying you can't be big brain and figure this out or whatever, right? But there's more mental tax on you to do so in that situation, because clearly they have they've thought about this and they're trying to win at the best of their game plan and now you are just trying to overcome whatever game plan you're you're trying to understand and even then they can have like surprises or tricks or trap cards for you right that they're like pull out of nowhere and you're like oh no this is bad for me you're like yep this is terrible yeah and no amount of longshanks data is going to tell you like what potential strategies could erupt from a new affiliation or, you know, not even a new affiliation, but, like, what would Inhuman suddenly do with just, like, a character that synergizes with them really well? well. Like, there's yeah. no amount of data you can look like look at that's going to, like, prepare you for that sudden change. It's funny you say Inhumans, because I saw someone playing Apex in Inhumans the other day, and the opponent was like, Apex? That seems kind of weird. And in my head, I was like, oh, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it turns out Apex <laughs> likes having power, and if yeah. you know you have an affiliation that can just give him a bunch of power, like that can be uh, that can be pretty good. Yeah, but it's one of those things like if you've never seen it, you don't have a lot of familiarity with humans. You're like, oh, they pass power around, okay, whatever. And then you think about particular characters' kits, and you go like, wait a second, what happens? If they start with three power beginning of the turn. You're like, well, uh, a lot of weird stuff actually. Yeah, and you don't you don't realize how much it can like move around too and like i don't want to turn this into like a humans episode right but like you know it you know you don't realize just how much like when the math is working out for inhumans and it's like oh well i spend this power and then gain this power and then give the power to this person and like everybody is kind of always activating with the power that they want it's uh it's intimidating and so, like, that's the sort of stuff where if you're trying to do it in real time, like, you invariably are going to make mistakes because either you don't understand interactions, you either over-underestimated something, and so you're on your back foot and that mental tax is going to take place, especially if that happens multiple matches, right, over the course of an event. Your brain, for lack of a better term, just has so many resources to dedicate to, you know, high critical thinking that you eventually get tired, right like your brain will eventually get tired and so <laughs> your brain isn't going to explain to you like hey let's take a break it's going to go I'm tired now we're done <laughs> yeah well I I mean I think the are we I like doesn't matter even if we definitively came to the answer that the data collection was overall negative for the community I don't think that would literally change anything even if people agreed with us like I don't think it like the amount of data that we're collecting would actually change at all. Yeah. I don't think it'll fundamentally change anything either way, honestly. Um, Could there be other data collected? Yeah. But again, like it just, it's so seasonal, right? I guess that's (laughs) the one thing we could change, right? Is make the data become seasonal. So you look at trends after, you know, certain kick releases or certain times of the year and stuff. I admit, I would love to have more game data. Like, in theory, like, if I had an assistant at LVO that would go through and collect all of the, like, this person played these models versus this person playing these models, I would love it. 
Oh, if I was full crazy, here's what I'd actually do, is that people would enter round, enter in the score after every round, right? And so you could see, like, how the match went. You're like, oh, the match turned at, like, ra- uh, turn two for some reason. Like, why did that happen? <laughs> right? You can infer a little more what happened in the actual match. Um, but there's no way that would fly, right? That's never going to happen. Yeah, that's, yeah that's, there's no way that uh, that actually happens because it, uh man... It would be cool to have. Like, obviously, yeah. you you love having that when you're watching a game and you see, like, oh, man, this person was winning, like, the whole game. And then it just, like, they kind of ran out of steam, like, at a certain point, And the other player was able to come back and take it. And, like, to to bring this back, again, sports analogies for me all the time, right, is that what makes a lot of sports statistics actually useful is that you essentially get the, you know, round by round, minute by minute breakdown of stats per player, per time, per inning, per quarter, right? (laughs) Broken down into these smaller segments. And essentially the more concrete steps or more concrete data elements that you have, the better picture you can infer from them. Because essentially you could recreate the game from the data, right? And essentially replay the game and understand how things went the way they did yeah i think game data is often more useful i really often dislike like say quarterback rating uh yeah that's boring (laughs) yeah well it's like wait a minute like they didn't it's not like they played again like sure i would be more interested in like okay well what was this quarterback's rating playing against team x compared to this quarterback's you know rating playing against team x but like the over the season i'm like they didn't play the same teams (laughs) So it's like, like, yeah, it's just like, yeah. And again, this like goes back to the whole data is fun. Data can be useful. But there's other times where data is also just signal noise and it's collected for the sake of being collected. And I'm not going to say, hey, data nerds get shoved in a closet or whatever, right? But I'm just saying, like, you can't infer a lot out of it. Or I guess it would be really fuzzy what you're inferring out of it. It's like, hey, and like a perfect little spherical, you know, effort here. This is going to happen. It's like, well... No, right? That's what happened during training, and that's not what's going to happen in an actual game. Because, hey, is it an open dome? Is it closed dome? Was it raining that day, right? Like, what was the actual conditions of the weather? Like, these all affect the game. Yeah. And bringing it back to MCP, right? Like, the data is obviously very, like, player impact is a big deal. (laughs) Yes. Now, what round they played each other is a big deal, right? Like, first round versus fourth round. Like, that matters a lot in matchups, right? And, like, this is the whole conversation about having breaks between LVO rounds is that, like, Vincent's comment is like, hey, I won, or I did better. I'm not going to say he won only, right? Because I had the time between to reset and go through, like, the exhaustion takes in, right? And, like, that's something that data isn't really going to tell you is, like, the mental stress people are going through. Like, there's no way to account for that. Well, that's data. I wonder if we could get Longshanks to show, like, where you could show data only played during tournaments and then show win-loss records based on the round of the tournament. Ooh. That would actually be kind of interesting, you think about it. Like, how does... Like, a drop-off starts happening after round three, right? Yeah, like, I wonder if... Like, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe... Like, X-Men stats shift over the course of an event. Like, and I'm not sure which direction. Like, is it easier to lose with X-Men in an earlier round where your opponent's fresh? Or is it easier to lose as the game goes, as the tournament goes on, and you're not as fresh? Yes. This is like the whole LVO thing where, like, all the X-Men players blew up, like, that second or third round. And it was like, wait... Did that really happen? Or was it, <laughs> like, is it just like you hit enough rounds that everyone just blew each other up? Or is it like, yeah. hey, when you play multiple rounds of like a, a high skill cap faction, like, and it's all this mental stress and all these things you're thinking about that you can mentally tax and you just make more mistakes as the game goes on, right? And that's just the, the, the outset of being mentally taxed. I like how the initial of this was like, do what are the pros and cons? And the end result is, could we start breaking down the data this way? Because that would be super interesting. Yeah, Even yeah. if we're not sure how to interpret the information. We blew up our own argument, mid-argument, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've wondered the same thing, though. Like, maybe we'll talk about it in the bonus episode. But I've wondered how much podcasting and content creation, like... 
uh, ends up affecting the meta, right? Where you know you can more easily get prepared for a new thing, and like you hear people like talk about it in detail, and so more people try it, and like more people figure out ways to beat it. Like, does it just speed up the whole process, or? you know what and like maybe maybe we'll save that for the 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 patreon episode but um i don't know like do you have any final thoughts as we as we wrap up this this content man uh it is a very nuanced conversation i guess is what i should say right is that there's just a lot of factors going into it and i i think it's like what i said earlier it's you have to take all this data with a grain of salt because at the end of the day is like a lot of this information is really useful to have and it's good to know what is quote good or, or what are things very useful and stuff. But at the end of the day, you just play with a group of people fairly regularly. You go to events. You're not going to these big, you know, national events and stuff. Like, does it really affect you in any meaningful way? Like, honestly. Yeah. And, and there are certain things that end up being good because they counter a specific thing. Yeah. So, um. it, yeah, I think it's just sort of understanding, I guess, your relationship, right, with the game and what you're trying to get out of it. And that the, I think the breakthrough for a lot of people to break into like the higher tiers of playing games and stuff is that you have to stop thinking about what is, quote, the best thing. And it's how do you play your best game? Right, like, how do you take what you generally like to do in a game, your play style, and how do you take advantage of that play style? Because generally speaking, you will do better playing things you like to play. Right, if you play something that is statistically going to win you ninety percent of matches, but you hate playing it, you're probably not going to do that well, honestly. Yeah, I mean, any um, even if you even if we're like, hey, X is definitively the best thing. You know, it's still going to take, like, in that last round of an event, you have to be able to kind of go all in, and you have to be able to, you know, think your way out of situations and know the weird off-the-wall plan for something. Um, You know, like, Alex talked about this. uh, Alex Botts was like, hey, normally speaking, you know, he felt like he was a surgeon with... Malekith, knowing when to back up, when to go all in, and he felt like he didn't do that at Adepticon, and he, you know, whether, I don't know if that was the day or what, or, you know, just gets lost in the moment, but he didn't feel like he played that last game as well as he normally could have, and kind of kind of dropped the ball on his normal, you know, super methodical, um, versatile way of playing Malekith, so... You, you kind of have to, like, love the thing that you're playing to find those weird alternate ways of playing it when the situation calls for that. Yes. And it's like knowing those edge cases, right, in that they don't happen very often, but, like, your 15 percenters, when they come up, you need to know the 50 percent play. Right, yeah. like you need to know what your out is and how you're going to accomplish it. Because if you can pull out your, your stupid combo and get it to work you're an advantage. Yep. And that's what you're trying to do in the first place. And no amount of data is going to tell you how to do that. Yeah. Not in the middle so, of the game. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. I think it's a really good topic. I think it's definitely something that should be discussed first. Or not first, but discussed more. Like, yeah. there should be more discussion on this. Um as a content creator, obviously, I love having some interesting stuff to talk about and dive into and try to figure out what it means. But it's hard to figure out what the data means. And I've recorded stuff, and I've certainly said I think I know what it means. Do I actually? Fuck, who knows? Mm-hmm. That's the beauty right. of podcasting, that I'm always right. Yeah. Hey, uh, we've got the microphone, so obviously we know what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think this is a good spot to wrap up the main episode. This is the end of episode 150. Um, so it's the end of the third season. Danny, I really appreciate your help coming on board to give me more backup and give me more consistency in season three. You you have been a godsend. 
Oh, well, I was going to say is that it's actually been a fun year doing this project. It started as literally us having a beer and talking yeah. it over and then starting a whole thing together. So it's been good. It's been fun to hang out, friends. It's been good to do stuff. It's been good being involved with LVO. It's just good to see people again. Depticon was great. So I just think, you know, being outside is fun and I miss people. Yeah, I'm glad you're you're getting out to stuff. So, um, All right, listeners. We're, we're going to start season four very soon, and I think the best way to conclude season three is to just say, life is better with Danny. Aw, so adorable. I love you too. <laughs> All right. Later, nerds.